Welcome to Bio, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. Bio is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm Bio member Jenny Skoog in New York City. On each episode, we talk with biographers about their work. This time, Professor Neil Baldwin talks about his book, Martha Graham, When Dance Became Modern, published by Penguin Random House in October of 2022. We recorded our interview on October 26th of this year via Squadcast. Who's Martha Graham? Martha Graham is the single greatest pioneer for modern dance in America, I would say. She was born in Pittsburgh in 1894. And she was very conscious of her frontier origins. She grew up near the Appalachian Trail, and she was very interested in Native American legends and myths. And then when she was a girl, her family moved to Santa Barbara, which is another part of the country. And then when she was in vaudeville, she was on the circuit, and she was pioneering through all the towns and villages of the country to do her concerts. So she had had a life of wandering and proselytizing throughout the land. She was very into the great American environment. And that's how I view her. I view her as like a Whitman, a Whitman, Walt Whitman of dance, if you will. You know, Walt Whitman said in his poetry, I contain multitudes and the song of myself. I think that Martha Graham, who was a great admirer of Whitman, also felt that way. And she wanted to strike new territory for American dance. So what makes dance modern? The choreography, especially of Martha Graham's um, signature choreography, is very angular. It's very compressed. It travels a lot, as they say in dance vocabulary. It moves across the stage. It uses the floor much more than ballet. I mean, modern Martha's dance is springing up from the floor and sinking down into the floor and using the floor as a kind of trail or platform. Modern dance is abstract in a way. It's more, I would say, expressionist abstract. That is feelings that are generated within the dancer as opposed to being imposed upon her or him. Feelings are generated and then expressed through movement that conveys emotion. And the emotion is in the eye of the beholder, which is like the sort of final, in terms of my my discussion of modern art in the book, that you come upon it and you see what you see and you get what you get. And there's no prescribed format or vision that you have to adhere to. She traveled the United States, and she was really influenced by Kandinsky and Walt Whitman, as you say, and other artists of different genres that influenced the way that she moves her body. How did this art and architecture and culture and land influence her work? Just one chapter of my book, Cave of the Heart, the description of a, of a dance of, from the 40s, I decided to try to replicate Martha Graham's research myself. In other words, if a, a dance is six or eight or 10 minutes or maybe 19 minutes at the most, 
of her st standard repertory, the amount of thought and research and note-taking and reflection that went into each of these dances was, it, that's what started to become overwhelming to me. And the way she would synthesize all this information and reduce it into physical terms that she would then talk about a lot with her dancers. Okay, so I decided just to try one dance because I had her journal and I could see all the books she took out of the library. She had the call numbers and everything and all the books she read and all the research she did. And it took me three months myself just to do the research that she did for this 15 minute dance. Martha Graham had this incredible ability to distill huge amounts of knowledge, not in, not just information, but knowledge into ways that the body could convey the feeling. You wouldn't see like footnotes per se, like you do in a book. You don't have that. You just have the human body itself. And this to me is how she, I think her, her amazing ability to synthesize so much information and to, and she worked very hard and she did a lot of homework and she would always go back to her apartment after the dance was done and get into bed with her pile of books and her notebooks and start working all over again. And that's what Martha Graham did for her whole life. Well, she was a very disciplined person. In fact, you write that she avoided the tea rooms and restaurants and cabarets that surrounded her Greenwich Village home. She said that if you spend an evening talking with your friends and associates about the dreams you have, those dreams will never go into manifestation. You have to deny yourself that privilege. And so how did Graham's discipline affect your work as a biographer? I didn't really know this while I was writing the book. And it's probably just as well because my editor, Vicki Wilson at Canop, she cautioned me a few times about, you know, Neil, Martha Graham is not a goddess. Martha Graham was a human being. Martha Graham was, you know, walked the earth like the rest of us. Yes. And I said, well, it's not the admiration that was getting to me. And I realized it was the identification with her discipline and her work ethic. I mean, all authors, I think, listening to this would identify with this part of it, which is that you, at the end, you have to sit with yourself and do the work. And there's no shortcut and there's no easy way. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's what the truth is. By the time I finished the book and it was published yesterday, I realized that that was the identification I had that made her a more suitable subject than I really thought in the beginning. You know, when I first started to do it, and I wasn't a dancer and I didn't have a dance history background, but there was something about this woman. And it took me a decade to figure out what was about her. But in the end, I feel like her discipline was a great influence on me as a writer. Why did you embark upon a biography of Martha Graham? Because if you look at the the rest of my oeuvre, as it were, if you look at the my life's work, I don't mind saying phrases like that at this point in my life because it's true that I've been publishing in one way or another for almost half a century now. If you look at the, the big sort of main pillars of the structure of my works, William Carlos Williams, Man Ray, Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, then I wrote this book called The American Revelation, which was 10 ideals that shaped our country through various figures in our history. 
the one common bond or through line is the imagination and the fact that no matter whether the person was a poet or a photographer or an inventor or an automobile factory magnet or, you know, Walt Whitman or Ralph Waldo Emerson or whoever the case may be, the imagination, which is the romantic, for me, the romanticized concept of thinking of new ideas and making them real, I think that is what attracted me to her because she was a colossus of the imagination. I, I mean, one of her dancers said the amount of dances that she cut, the amount of steps that she cut out of her works could make a whole nother corpus of work for somebody else. The amount that she, it's sort of like Thomas Edison's 3000 laboratory notebooks, you know, the, the, and a 10th of those made it to the invention stage. I think that is what was it turned me on about her. She was a very private person and once said that she did not want people to snicker over her after her death. In your introduction, you write that when Graham's mother died, she went to Santa Barbara and burned the letters. Similarly, when her close friend and collaborator Louis Horst died, Graham destroyed their correspondence. Then in 1999, a flood contributed to the loss of audiovisual and written documentary material at the Graham School. So how were you able to piece together such an intimate portrait despite these setbacks? It's kind of like the Japanese, there was a Japanese movie called Rashomon a long time ago. Basically, the story was told from seven different points of view. This is all I remember of it was like something happened. And then there were all these different versions of what happened, depending on which person was there or you talked to or you were going through the eyes of that person. So I've done this before with other biographies where where the material is lacking. I go around to the other figures that surround that like the person is a nucleus of an atom and all these other figures in her life martha graham were like the electrons rotating around and all these different dancers many of whom left interviews at the library of congress and other figures composers who wrote their own memoirs of being working with martha graham and papers by other artists that collaborated with martha graham so that yes you're right martha graham herself as Janet Elber said, the head of Martha Graham Company, she said to me one time, I don't think Martha ever thought of a world without her being in it. So she just did what she did while she was doing what she did. And that was that. It's sort of like when you do a dance and you go out and you do the six minutes and then you leave and it happened, but it's not like you can go to the Metropolitan Museum and go back and look at the painting and it'll be the same painting. What were some of the questions that you were trying to answer at the outset of your research? The thing that I didn't know in the beginning, I said to myself, I'm going to do, I'm going to do like a, an exciting, provocative introduction to the great Martha Graham. So that was my original plan. It was, I did not plan to spend 14 years of my life on this book when I started it. I think that's the interesting part of the answer for me. Then I got in, started to get into it. It was like, I remember I thought it was like an onion peeling away the layers. And I'd say, oh, that's very interesting. So she did this or she did that. And then the next work she would do would have nothing to do with the prior. So the other thing is that I started out as a poet and a scholar. I have a PhD in American poetry. And I started out as a scholar of literature. 
And when you examine the life's work of a, a poet, you can make links between each poem chronologically as you go forward. They work through different styles. They work through different ways of language. They, you can do an arc. A literary arc is what I'm used to, but you can't do a dance arc with Martha Graham. I haven't thought about how this would apply to other choreographers. All I can say is that after about five or six dances, I say this in the book, I say that you can't extrapolate from one dance to the next with Martha Graham because she was always obsessed with starting over and making it new. So you can't look at her work necessarily like it has some kind of trajectory that where one, the next thing builds on the thing before and on and on to some kind of greater pinnacle. I think she had pinnacles and then she would just start on another level or layer and work from that. So that's what, that's the biggest one, biggest single surprise that and biggest challenge that I had. Are there any questions that still remain unanswered that are driving you nuts? You can finish the book as a writer, you can finish your book, but you cannot leave the person as if the person has been resolved. There's no such thing as a definitive or a comprehensive or oh, every single trail has been followed up. There's no such thing. Life is not like that. And I'm glad I put that in the book. Tell me about this danceturgy writing workshop at Montclair State University. I first was hired at the university as a distinguished visiting professor in the history department. And for various reasons, although I was it, I am and was a historian, it didn't really work out sort of academically. After about a year, the president of the university moved me over to the College of the Arts to theater and dance and charged me with beginning a dramaturgy program over there. So dramaturgy, as you know, is sort of the literary end of theater. And they didn't have a dramaturg program in the theater department. And that was a great spot. I loved being with the performers. And after about really like a month or two, the chairman of the dance, dance division of the, our department, her office was right next to my office. And she knocked on my door one day and said, would you like to come over and try to do what you're doing with the acting students, with our students, the dancers? And I said, well, I would be happy to try to do it. Um, I don't have a dance professor background, but I do know how to look at things and describe and critique. And she said, just come in and bring your energy into the room and bring another pair of eyes into the room and all these incredibly cool ways of describing what I would do. I was watching and then describing what I saw to the kids, like they would sit down around and I would say how I, what it looked like to me. But after about a couple of half a year of that, I said, no, 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 this is not sufficient. I want to start a class. So I just, I invented danceturgy. I made it up one day. I said, well, we'll just get a group of motivated dance majors into a seminar and we'll start talking about what they're doing, what they're dancing, the dances that are set upon them, as well as the dances that they were making up in their own choreography class. And then they would write about that. And then they would observe each other's work and critique each other's work as peers. And then we ended up doing talkbacks after all the dance recitals in the in the theater. We would have all of my dance liturgy students come out and have a Q&A with all the dancers. And it was fin so this went on for every Friday I had a at 8.30 in the morning on a Friday, which was the only day that they could fit it into the schedule of these kids. 
So I would get there and they would already be waiting outside the door, you know, ready for me. And so after 10 years of that, you know, we had videos and papers and symposiums and talkbacks. And it was fantastic because they never really had a chance to talk about what they were actually doing. They're so busy going to class. I'm sure all the dancers realized this. I know they did. You're so busy taking class or getting ready in to practice your next piece or for doing a show that you don't have time to just, you know, we closed the door. We had a nice big seminar table and we sat around and talked for an hour and a half about what it felt like. And each person would observe the other person. And that's what dance Dancerturgy was. How did teaching this course influence your project on Martha Graham? Oh my goodness. I could not have done. I say in my book, I thank my students at the end of the book because they, by watching them, by my watching them, but more pertinently, they're watching each other's work and then objectifying it and articulating it. And also we did a lot of stuff on what it feels like when you're really out there on stage from one moment to the next. We talked a lot about kinesthetic distance and how it feels when you're in the middle of a dance and you're trying to project something, but you also have to be conscious of all these other people. And what does it feel like right before you come right out on the stage? I mean, we talked about, we broke it down into these little particulars of the performance. And that was so helpful to me in writing the book. You do an incredible job of describing dance as a visual medium on the page. How were you able to articulate Graham's choreography into words? The way I think what I had to do was very similar to what she did when she was researching in the sense that I also was challenged. So let's just, I could take one, any given dance where there would be like some grainy films. There might be a video. There's probably going to be two or three interviews with people that were in it because the Library of Congress and New York Public Library have a very good archive of interviews with the dancers from the 20s and 30s and 40s. That is a good corpus right there. Then I would go to all the reviews of the time and get those laid out. So I would get as many different, as I said earlier, as many different impressions of the one specific dance as possible. And then I would try to put them together in a way that respected the work without trying to interpolate if I didn't know the answer. Like I, I say in the book, there is no film record of this dance. This The description I'm about to give is only based on Dorothy Bird or uh, Anna Sokolow. You know, a lot of these women were very interesting. They like to write themselves. So I had to piece it together through participants and observers and occasionally have an occasional interview or maybe a video was shot from the balcony and you could hardly tell who was doing what, but at least you could see where they were going. So I feel like that was my job to bring as many different elements together as I could and make them into at least a, a depiction of something. You distribute photos throughout the book inside the narrative. How did you decide where the photos would be placed? Well, my editor, Vicki Wilson, and I worked together on that for the entire summer of 2020. I, my contract called for 60 pictures. I mean, by the time I finished, 
I had acquired and researched about 145 pictures. And Vicky, I sent all the pictures to her, and she also asked me to put a little mark in the manuscript where I thought each one should go, because we knew the pictures would be throughout. But then she went through and she kind of did it. She did an editorial overview of the entire, all the art. And she told me why she thought certain ones didn't have to be in there and other ones should be bigger and other ones should be flipped around so the person was facing. I mean, she did the kind of visual editorial overview and knowing how it would look in a book. She could, she knew how it was going to look in a book specifically it was remote because it was during COVID and she was in her house upstate and I sent her FedExes of, you know, Xeroxes of all the pictures. And then we would talk about it on the phone. And she said, you know, we're just going to have as many pictures as we need to have. And we ended up with 108 pictures and it's fantastic. So yeah, that's how we did it. Teamwork. What's your writing and research process like? Do you research and then write or do you write as you go along? Tell me about that process. I would have to say my process, it's omnivorous and relentless and I have to see everything. I, I realize now I, when I did um, Man Ray, that was the first time I, I used that phrase because Man Ray was a photographer <clears throat> and I traveled all around the world. And I went to the Getty Museum and the Museum of Modern Art and I went to the Louvre and, you know, UK and all these different repositories. Um, I went to his studio in Paris. He had died, but his wife still was around. And and I went to a lot of private collections in, in America, and, you know, New York and around LA and places like that. And then one day I realized I just had a feeling like I've seen it all. And that's how I feel about Martha Graham in the sense of what is there. I feel that I have covered the terrain as well as it can be covered. So you consume everything. You take it all in and then do you write? I have two types of writing. I'm writing called, I'm writing the book. I'm working on the book. But then the next part is called, I call it the real writing. So when someone says, well, how long does it take you to write a book? Well, see, there's the part that you're writing up things and transcribing and moving things around and taking notes and uploading this and that. Then you have the part where you start to write like it's, you think it should be in the book. You think about it as if it was going to be in the actual book. So that's the called, I call that the real writing. So if it takes 14 years, it doesn't really take 14 years because a, I have, I had a, I have a family and kids and a job and a wife and a house and, you know, life, like regular life, like anybody else. But I think once you get into the writing part, there's the work on it. The ratio is about three to one. The, pr the research, preparation, rearranging, moving around this, that, and the other, and then the real writing. But I think it would break down like that. Dancers are endurance athletes who hone their craft over the course of decades. Constructing a biography is an arduous process. How physical was your research on such a physical subject? I became more conscious of my body as a physical, as a work in terms of going to the gym. Okay. So going to the gym was a thing for me, always been a thing for me. And as I've gotten older and 
the writing has gotten more complicated and you need to have stamina. And I've become very aware of that. And then when COVID came, I was really in like the last phase of the book and I couldn't go to the gym because of COVID. So I started seeing a personal trainer and I also started ice skating because I couldn't go to the gym and I started taking walks. My physicality got even more important in the last two or three years. And I knew that it was helping me because I could have strength to go back to the writing and the writing was being powered by my sense of well-being. Like I ate well, I hydrated. These are things I never th thought about before. Hydration and taking walks and aerobic exercise definitely was on my mind when I was sitting at the computer. I would get up and walk around and stretch and yeah, it's definitely a physicality mentality that I had, that I have now, that I didn't have when I started writing this book, that's for sure. I don't know how I got through so many years of writing without understanding that my body had to be paid attention to as a writer. And dance is, dance, when they first started talking about physicality, you know, and going, when I would go into the rehearsals and sit in and they would say, you know, dig deeper and, you know, do that over again and run through this and run through that and do this and do that. And and he started to using the word physicality, which I never even heard, heard that word before. But now I would say that's top of mind for me. That was Professor Neil Baldwin talking with bio member Jenny Skoog about his book, Martha Graham, When Dance Becomes Modern. It was published by Penguin Random House in October 2022. This interview was recorded via Squadcast on October 26th of this year. To learn more about Bio or to hear other episodes in our podcast series, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm Bio member Jenny Skoog in New York City. Alani Hodge created our theme music, and until next time, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>